Good morning. Um, if you're visiting one tribe, just want to extend another warm welcome. Karibu uh, Tena, it's uh, good to see you and uh, good to have you. And as you heard, my name is uh, Cephas. I'm one of the team of uh, elders who lead One Tribe Church. And um, I don't know if you're anything like me. I feel like we're living in times of massive and rapid change. Uh, in my life, I've gone from using this. You guys remember that? I can see a few confused faces when you wanted to dial. And uh, remember growing up, we, we would have this landline. And so as kids, you're not allowed to use the phone. And sometimes it would have a lock on it to try and lock that. And we came up with ingenious ways of being able to dial it. But you had to make sure you had enough time because let's say if you wanted to dial nine, you'd have to wind it all the way to nine. And then it comes back slowly. And uh, that's how we used to make phone calls. And now we're using this. That's uh, a Nokia G11, if you're wondering what snazzy phone that is. That's the phone I'm currently using. And then we've gone from using this. You recognize that Sony Walkman? I remember my, my, my sister went overseas and she, she came back with one of these and I inherited it. And um, when you wanted to replay a song, you had to be really committed. It was a song that you really loved. What you do, you take out the cassette, then either you spin it on your hand or you put your pen and uh, spin it. And I can still see some confused faces in the room. Now we're using this. I tell you what, I feel like a technological dinosaur. I, I visited one particular family who I won't mention. And these guys were talking to their speaker. I couldn't believe it. Like, I wanted to pick it up and say, what manner of sorcery is this? And so now people are talking to their devices, calling them by name. I want you to know that that's really freaky. And I wanted to put a picture of the Fresh Prince of Ballet. You know, that was from 1990 to 1996. And imagine teleporting a teenager from the 90s into now, 2023. They would feel like they're living in a sci-fi movie. In real terms, they're living in the future. And in many ways, this is how the Bible describes our present age our present reality, that uh, we live in this age, what the Bible calls the present age, but yet something has happened in the course of history that has brought the future into the present. And uh, I feel like as we've been looking over the past uh, two weeks at uh, the story of Acts, we started with Apollos. And he, he came, he, we heard from Bonisi how he was a man who was mighty in the scriptures, well-educated, and he knew the story of Jesus, but just up to the baptism of John. And then Apollo, uh, Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and said, Apollos, we, we can see that there's something in you that's really great and that must be nurtured, but there's something of the future that you need to get to know. There's a reality that has come and you need to get to grasp. And last week we had Chris Foote talking about how Paul also arrived uh, in Ephesus and he found these 12 disciples and he asked them, 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they replied and said, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And uh, I thought that's kind of like Paul rocking up and saying, hey guys, could you give me the Wi-Fi password? And they're like, we haven't heard that there's wireless network. There's something of the future that has come into the present and we need to know about it. And uh, this is the title of my sermon this morning, that the future is here. And uh, my goal as I do that, as we work together in the passage, is to demonstrate just three things. Firstly, that the future is here and everyone must know it. Not only must everyone know it, but everyone must respond. This is something that demands a response. But not, no, not only is this something that we can know, it is something that we can experience. Everyone can experience the power of the future. And so if you have your Bible, please would you turn with me to Acts 19. We'll be continuing from verse 8 to 10. And uh, before I start reading, please just allow me to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, um, we thank you so much that you are the doctor and we are the patients. Uh, that we don't have to come to you with the answers, but we come to you with the problems. <laughs> and it's up to you to diagnose and bring the solution. Lord, if it wasn't for your love, your grace, where would we be with our lives? If you didn't die for us on the cross, where would be our hope? And so this morning we want to open ourselves to you. And Lord, even as we heard that you come with gentleness, yet you come with effectiveness. You know us completely. You know exactly what we need. And so we invite you and say, would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would your word do that which you have sent it to do and bring forth life? in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, and in our community. If you agree with that, why don't you say amen? Great, so what I'll do is I'll read this, the text, we'll get a bit into it, explain the context, then we'll just get into those points. Let's read together from verse 8. It says, And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And uh, just by way of reminder, if you haven't been tracking with us, the story is talking about Paul who is in a city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the most populous city in the most populous province and, and prosperous province of the Roman uh, Empire. This was Asia, not to be conflated or confused with present day, the continent of Asia, but this was kind of Western Turkey. And I'll just keep that uh, picture up because we're going to be uh, uh, tracking with Paul even as this day. And uh, if you are with us, uh, a few months ago when we did Acts chapter 16, you'd have remembered that Paul wanted to go to Asia a few years earlier. All right, so the gospel comes out of Jerusalem. 
spreads to Antioch over there, and from there, Paul is sent out. His first missionary journey, he goes just to the top there where it says Galatia, and you can see Iconium, Derby, and that's where Paul is, then he comes back. Then the second time, he wants to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit prevents him. It prevents him from going to Bithynia, and he sees a man of Macedon, and he crosses over, and the gospel comes into Europe. And that's where Paul spends a couple of years. And then on his way back, he passes through Ephesus, where we are. I'm not sure if you guys can see it, but hopefully you can. Goes to Jerusalem, returns to Antioch. And so Paul has had this ambition of being in Ephesus and Asia for a few years, but he kind of got delayed. And uh, though it's a side point, I just wanted to encourage you this morning. You might have some, some godly ambition, some godly dreams, whether you want to get married, whether you want to have a child or start a business or start some sort of ministry, and you felt you've experienced delay. Or maybe God has been saying no. Just wanted to encourage you to be faithful in what God is calling you today. If God has called you to that ambition or that dream, he will fulfill it according to his ways and purposes. But in any case, we need to notice Paul's incredible ambition to spread the gospel. He's traveled for thousands of kilometers on foot, on mule, I don't know, on dangerous terrain. But Paul is committed because he believes that everyone must know this message. And so when he, when he comes into Ephesus, he follows his usual MO. He goes to the synagogue and he reasons and persuades them for three months. And then when the situation becomes too hot to handle, he, he can't stay there anymore, Paul doesn't give up and say, hey, I've, I've tried, these guys have hard hearts. He says that he moved out of the synagogue and went and rented this hall of Tyrannus. And he taught for two years. And uh, some manuscripts say that he would speak from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And uh, what he was doing outside of those hours is that he was working with his hands. He was a leather worker, a tent maker. And so he would be working. And then when time for lunch and kind of siesta comes, he's there reasoning and persuading, dialoguing with people from all over Asia. Because everyone must know. Paul would speak to the educated, the uneducated. He would speak to Jews, he would speak to non-Jews. He would speak to uh, free, he would speak to slaves. He would speak to the rich, he would speak to the poor. He would speak to men, women, and children, because everyone must know. And now when he says that the whole province of Asia heard, it's not saying that Paul spoke to every single person in Asia. What it's saying is that Paul started this community in Ephesus, what we call a church. And from that, people would come and gather, and they would hear Paul speaking. And we know of one particular guy called Epaphras, who then went and took the message to Colossae. It's mentioned in the letter to the Colossians. And even in the letter to the Colossians, it talks about other communities in Hierapolis and Laodicea, which were all started through what Paul was doing. And some scholars think that the letters to the churches, the churches in Revelation, were started during this time. And what does that have to do with us today as one tribe? Well, we said our mission is to multiply gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional churches in Nairobi and beyond. And you say, okay, that's great. What we'll do is we'll, we'll have Mbanisi, we'll have Cephas, we'll have the elders 
Can, can they go and start communities in other areas? But actually, that's not what it's about. It's about having a community who are caught up with the gospel, who are so firmly convinced of it, that they say, hey, everybody needs to know. Everyone in my family needs to know this. Everyone in my neighborhood needs to know this. Everyone in my workplace needs to know this. Everyone in my school needs to know this. But not just those who are in my circle. Last week we heard from Alan who was talking about people groups who don't have the Bible in their own language. And we say, hey, if, if those guys don't have the Bible in their own language, how will they know? And so we want to talk to those who are near and we want to talk to those who are far because everybody needs to know. And you can imagine Paul was here for something like two to three years and Luke is able to say everyone in the region of Asia heard this message. Wouldn't it be amazing if somebody was to look uh, back at the history of one tribe maybe 10, 20 years from now and say, because this church was, was here, everyone in the region of Nairobi, everyone in, in the region of Kenya, of East Africa, was able to hear this message. And I think, hey, is that, is that possible? Just look up the story of, of John Wesley. Look up the stories of, of Howell Harris. You'll see stories of men and women who changed nations, and not just nations, entire continents. Because everybody needs to know. And you might be asking, what was this message that everybody needed to know? Well, Luke doesn't leave us in suspense. He says, Paul was talking about the kingdom of God. And uh, this term, kingdom of God, means God's rule, his, his reign, his sovereign power in action. And this is what the gospel is all about. Look at what Isaiah says as he was looking forward to the proclamation of the gospel. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Read gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This idea that God reigns is that he wants to establish his rule and his reign through a people who trust in him and yield to him their lives is a major theme of Scripture, if not the major theme of Scripture. And if you're a nerd like me, then you'd be interested in a few quotes from some Old and New Testament scholars. Uh, here's one from a guy called Bruce K. Waltke. He says, the center of the Old Testament and when he's talking about the center of the Old Testament, he's saying this is what holds everything together within it. The message that accommodates all its themes is that Israel's sublime God glorifies himself by establishing his universal rule, read his kingdom, his reign, over his volitional creatures, and that's just a fancy way of saying people, on earth through Jesus Christ and his covenant people. This inbreaking of God's rule, because it's something that, that comes from outside of us. It's, it's God breaking in to the human story. Involves battling against spiritual adversaries in heavenly places 
and political and social and religious powers on earth and destroying them in righteous judgment while saving his elect. And so when he's saying, hey, do you get confused in all the details of the Old Testament? Do you, do you get confused uh, with names? Do you get confused with books and places? Read that it's all about God's kingdom. God coming against spiritual forces and powers and working in our present day to establish his rule through his people. And a New Testament scholar, George Eldon Ladd, says this, Modern scholarship is quite unanimous in the opinion that the kingdom of God was the central message of Jesus. And so the kingdom of God is the theme of the Old Testament. The kingdom of God is, is the theme of Jesus, and the kingdom of God is the theme of the book of Acts. It says when Jesus rose up, he spent 40 days with his disciples talking to them about the kingdom of God. This is right at the beginning of Acts. And when you come to the end of Acts, we see Paul in Rome talking to people about the kingdom of God. And his message for two years, what he discussed from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. can be summarized as the kingdom of God. I don't know what kind of holds you or what holds your passion, what, what holds your life. I don't know what you dream about, what your amb ambitions are all about. But for the Jewish people, when they traced from their history, the this, this story of what God was doing with them, they, they would look back right in Genesis and see Jacob prophesying over Judah that one would come from Judah from whom the scepter would not depart, and the nations would come and submit themselves to him. They, they would listen to the prophecies of Balaam when he says, I, I, I see him, but not now. One is coming, but not yet. A star will rise from Israel. We, we don't have time to look at, at God's covenant with David in, in, in 2 Samuel 7 when he comes and says that I will establish your kingdom and one of your own sons will be my son and your kingdom will be forever. We don't have time to look at what the prophet said about the branch that would come, the root of David. Unto us a son is born, a child is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. And so prophet after prophet came and spoke. The kingdom, the line of David seemed to end in 586 BC. But the, the Jewish people held on to this hope and looked forward to the fulfillment of these promises. Ending with Malachi, the last prophet, speaking of the Lord coming to his temple. And before that, he would send Elijah, this messenger, to prepare the way. And during Jesus and John the Baptist's time, this, this expectancy was at fever pitch because of the oppression of the Romans, and they were looking to God to fulfill his promises of bringing this descendant of David to break their adversaries. And then John came onto the scene. He was such a powerful prophet that people were asking him, are you him? People came from all over Judea to see this, 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 this prophet in the desert. But he said, no, no, I'm not the one. There's one who is coming after me. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene and he declares, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. He's saying, hey guys, what you have been waiting for, what you have been looking forward to for hundreds and thousands of years, it is finally here and it is in my person. 
the kingdom of God had finally arrived. And so this is the message that grips Paul. And friends, I, I feel like we've privatized and domesticated the gospel. We, we, we talk of receiving this personal savior. And yes, he is a savior of people, but actually he's the savior and ruler of the universe. This is a message of the gospel that our God reigns. This Jesus has been appointed both Lord and Savior. And this is why everyone needs to know. Because everyone must respond. And we're, we're living in days where it's easy to feel like the message of Christianity is on trial. You go online, you go on YouTube, you go on Twitter... And you find people are turning this message and looking at it from all angles, looking at the message of the Bible and saying, could this be true or this is not true for this reason or I don't believe it for that. Or, and there's so many arguments, but actually it's not we who put the message of the gospel on trial. It's not we who put Jesus on trial. It's the message of the gospel and Jesus who puts us on trial and says, here is the message. How are you going to respond? Jesus was put on trial and he was condemned to die. And the Bible says that he died, but on the third day, God vindicated him and raised him from the dead, never again to be subject to death. And he was raised up, seated at the right hand of power and glory. And he poured out his Holy Spirit, what we've been reading about in the book of Acts and what we are experiencing to this day. Listen, the gospel of the, mes the message of the gospel is not based on legend. It's not based on myth. It is based on things that have happened in the open. It is based on things that can be verified. It is based on, on real lives that are being changed today. It's not we who put Jesus on trial. It is Jesus who comes to us with his message and says, how will you respond? And listen, Responding to this message is not simply a case of saying, okay, I said a prayer, I've done the rituals, come Jesus, make my life better, do these things for me. Responding to this message is saying, I see this truth that you are Lord and you are Savior and I lay aside my agendas, I lay aside whatever my trajectory of life and I put it at your feet and I say, you as king, have your way and do whatever you will with me. And this past Thursday, I was sitting at my desk and I just was reading in the morning before I start my day, and I remembered that I'd heard news that a certain lady from the community where we were before we moved to Nairobi had passed away. I heard this several months ago, but it suddenly hit me on Thursday because <clears throat> her husband and her invited us to their homestead. We lived in the rural areas, and so would go to their homestead and would speak to them on Friday nights after work and would sing songs and then would talk about Jesus. 
and a few women and children and some men sometimes would gather. And so when I, now, it, when it began to click that actually she's passed on, the first thought that came to my mind was, I wonder if I'll meet her in heaven. And then the second thing that came to my mind was, I wonder if there was enough in our discussions for her to come to faith. I, I, I wonder. What does this have to do with us today? Friends, there are two things we cannot guarantee. Firstly, that you hear another sermon. Maybe you're here, you're still exploring the claims of Christ, you're still sitting on the fence. If you're honest, you'd say you're not a Christian. And maybe you've been exploring it for a while. Maybe you're thinking, hey, I still more, need more time. Listen, there's no guarantee that you have the opportunity in future to make that decision. If I think back to that lady, I wonder how different would have been our conversations if I knew that a few years from now she would be dead. Secondly, your tomorrow is not guaranteed. But the Bible says that there are two things that are certain for all of us. If we come to Hebrews 9.27, <clears throat> it says each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. And so while our tomorrow is not guaranteed, while this opportunity to respond to this message is not guaranteed, Two things are guaranteed that we will pass over from this life in one way or another and that will come to the place of judgment. And this is why everyone must respond to this message. And now it's interesting that in our text, we see other people says that they were, their hearts were hardened and they disobeyed the message. And so we see two ways of responding to this message. There's no neutral ground. There's no in-between. There's a hardening and a disobedience. And there's a response of submission to discipleship. And I, I want to warn you this morning, if you're sitting on the fence, if you're exploring, be careful that your heart is not hardened. Be careful that you do not take in the deception and the lies of the enemy that will cause you to harden your heart and reject the only message that can actually save you. I remember when I was a, a teen, I, I came to that place where I said, I want nothing to do with Christianity. I, I don't believe this message. I, I used to make fun of Christians and how they look and just what they do. My heart was hardened. But the good news is that God promises 
that he can replace a hard heart. In Jeremiah 31, he says, I will give you a new heart. And you might be here, and if you're honest, you can say, hey, look, my heart has been hardened. I've, I've, I've rejected this message. I have I, spoken evil against it. I, but this morning, I, I want a soft heart. I want to be able to respond. Well, God is here to give you and transform your heart. But the question is, will you come to him and tell him of your weakness? Will you come to him and ask him to change your heart? Will you come to him this morning and ask him to, to forgive you freely as he offers in Christ? Will you come to him and look to him to translate you from the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of light? Will you come to him and ask him to give you life for, for that deadness? Will you come to him and submit to him as king? Friends, everyone must respond to this message. Maybe the band can come back up. We're just going to land. We spoke of this message of the kingdom. It's a message of God battling evil and wickedness and dark powers and forces that he might win for himself a people who belong to him, a people who are his family, a people who are his dwelling place, a people who are his beloved. And this morning, God has been waging war over our lives. From the moment we began singing our songs, and Damaris was urging us to respond. It was God himself extending his hands to us and saying, won't you come to me today? It was the great physician who says, hey, you don't need to diagnose your problems. You don't need to come to me and tell me what you feel you need for your life. Just come as you are. I am the great physician. Listen, I didn't come for those who've got their lives all put together. I didn't come for those who have the, all their ducks in a row. I came for the unrighteous. I came for those who are sick of soul, sick of heart, sick of body. Because I am the great physician. But friends, we have to respond. You have to come. Jesus is not going to enforce himself on anyone. He's way too gentle and kind for that. He's saying, will you respond by faith? Just like what Jesse said, don't wait for a feeling, a, a, a special feeling. Will you come by faith? Will you believe this message? Will you believe that I am what has been proclaimed about me and I can do what has been proclaimed that I can do? 
So why don't we just stand together? And I want to invite you to come forward if you want to respond, not just to what I have preached, but what we've been singing throughout this morning. I want to invite you forward to come and say, I am submitting to this king. I am receiving this gospel of the kingdom. I'm not putting this off for one more day. I am responding because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's power. Or maybe you want to come forward and respond to some other area where you feel, hey, I could use God's touch. I could use God's help in this area. In fact, I want to lay it down at His feet. So we're going to sing once again. And I just want to invite you to come forward and there'll be people to pray for you. We're not in a rush because God is present and He's working in people's hearts and people's lives. So let's sing together. Let's come forward. Let's respond to this message.